Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for that song, for the music, for everything. Remember my wife, uh, we've spent most of the night, some of the night at the emergency room last night, just high blood pressure, living with the pastor is mainly probably what that is, but uh, she's feeling better, but she's resting, uh, getting ready for the trip tomorrow. All right, looking forward to that. I think probably the most important message that I've ever preached in my life was probably, I don't remember if it was last week or week before last, but I'm telling you, if you've not, if you were not here, the message on the three things that we need to do to have a victorious life. Number one, reckon. Reckon who we are. We're dead, we're buried, we're resurrected. We got to reckon in every situation who we are. Number two is appropriate. Reckon and know. Appropriate what Jesus has done for us. And then number three is yield ourselves to him. I I tell you, those three principles come back time and time again. Uh, So I I just, we continue on in the book of Romans. Uh, We're down to chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, we'll look at it and just, we'll cover the whole chapter, but we'll uh, just read just a few verses. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if... While her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Then down in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then when the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed in in the music. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to let your Holy Spirit guide this service. Guide what is said. Guide what is heard. May what is said come from you and what people hear. God, don't let them hear what's not said, but let them hear what your Holy Spirit desires them to hear this morning to put into practice in their life and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul uses a metaphor here of a a marriage to explain man's connection to the Old Testament law. And when we were under the law, it was like we were married to the law. 
And when Christ fulfilled the law and sacrificed for us, himself for us, then we died to the law. In the, if the, in the Bible, if a husband died, the woman was free to remarry. When uh, we became Christians, we were released from the law and we were married to Christ. Ephesians 2.15 says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So we're, we're, first of all, in Romans 7, we see that we're bound by the law. We're bound by it. Uh, the strength of a marriage. The Bible's laws were very strict concerning divorce. Now, things are different today, and I'm not trying to tell you here uh, that there's no reason for divorce. I understand that completely, completely. But I do understand that, you know, even in our, while we've been living, used to be that you had to file for a divorce and you had to wait two years before it would come true. And sometimes that was two years of, hmm, you know, tough. Sometimes, though, and many times in those two years, those marriages were put back together. It's kind of like uh, you ladies, uh, your husband would say maybe, uh, you know, I think I'd like some of your good mashed potatoes tonight for supper. And so you would say, all right, honey, we'll do that. You'd go down to the shed back in the back, and there'd be a wire there where the fresh potatoes were put up there so they wouldn't rotten. You'd get them, and they'd be full of dirt, and you'd have to wash them off and everything. And then you'd peel them things, and then you'd, you'd put them in a pot of boiling water, and, and you didn't have no electric mixer. You had to mash them things up like that, put in that butter and that heavy cream, and, uh, and all of a sudden, man, you had good mashed potatoes. We don't do that anymore. Husband calls, said, honey, I'd love some of your good mashed potatoes. No problem, baby, we'll have them. You open a little old pouch, just the top of it right there. You put it in this thing, and you click on two minutes, and they're done. Huh? And, and, and that's what he's talking about here. I'm not saying, and no, don't, don't misunderstand I'm not saying that divorce is, uh, is, is the unpardonable sin. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you, in our day that we live, you know, I read a story, true story, about a husband that finally was going to put his wife to the final test. He's, he brought her two eggs. I want you to fry me one of them. She fried the wrong egg. So out he went. I mean, you know, if you burn toast, oh, I'm going to get a divorce. I mean, it's just that easy right now. You can get a divorce uh, this morning and be in Las Vegas tonight and be remarried again. That's the world we live in. But that wasn't the world of the biblical. Paul said in verse 1, the law had dominion over a man as long as he lived. From the time of Moses to the giving of the law, the law was in effect until the time of Christ. That was Christ's standard. That was God's standard and expectations. And all Jews were expected to uh, live by the law and the tenets of the law. Now, I know that's not real popular with the feminist movement, but I want to understand something this morning. God is not in a popularity contest. Uh, you just get home this afternoon, get in the closet with him, and just find out how much he's worried about a popularity contest. He is going to tell, 
Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That would have been a good place for some of you men to say amen. (laughs) But I feel your pain. I know. I know what you're talking about. And the first thing some of you ladies are going to say, well, but, I don't care what but you put to it, that does not take away from what this scripture says. It is, now you say, I don't like that. There again, I'm not telling you, this is what the word of God says. God's not in a popularity contest. I'm going to try to get out of here without getting tarred and feathered here, uh, if I possibly can. I'm telling you, the husband is to love the wife, just like Christ loved the church. But I don't see anywhere in the Word of God that says, if your husband don't love you, then you don't have to do this. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's remember that Paul is really talking about being free from the law. Uh, if her husband bit. So before we're so quick to put aside the law, Let's remember that the Ten Commandments are still very beneficial today. 1 Timothy uh, 1 says, 8 says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Our whole country, as as the United States of America, was founded upon the system that's based in the Word of God. That's what's made this country great. Now, I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, or a no-nothing. I'm just telling you, when you see people in our country that are trying to burn the Word of God, burn the flag, burn all of the history of this country, just this week we finally got the Alamo back in the history books at Texas. They had taken them out. And you see all of this stuff being dissected. I don't care what we are politically. We ought to raise up and say, look, we're where we are because of the blessings of God. God has blessed this nation. Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. How quickly we forget. And that's one of the reasons we need to teach our young people. When you read the history books, you, you read their history books in school. You, you probably know more history than the people who are writing the books. We need to teach our young people, this country was based on the word of God. You won't go to Washington, D.C. and not find scripture everywhere, on every building, all over. But it's just by coincidence. No, it's not. Now, I won't tell you, young people, I, I, I know I'm chasing a rabbit, but it's a Holy Ghost rabbit. When you come to the place where you think socialism is the way this country ought to go, somebody needs to set you down and give you a good talking to. Because socialism is the next step to communism. If you want to see socialism, go down to Venezuela. I know you're saying, get off of that. I'll get off of it. But I just want you to know, in Psalm 78, God spoke to Israel. He said, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your hearts to the words of my mouth. Every time Israel followed God, God blessed them. It's a cycle throughout the entire Bible. And somewhere in America, 
We've got people now that believe that we can raise up a country and everything's free. Nobody has to work. Nobody has to sacrifice. Nobody does nothing. It's all free. That's hogwash. It's not true. It's not true in the Bible. It's not true in the modern day life. So we're released from it. When the, when the, when the uh, 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 law is dead, we're released from it. Now the law is dead. Now we're delivered from it. In other words, he's saying there in verses 4, 5, and 6, just like Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, he came here to set the hearts of his people from the burden of the law to the simplicity of the gospel. People say the gospel is too easy. <laughs> it was, it is compared to what the law taught. I mean, you couldn't do anything in the law. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. People will say, well, that yoke of bondage means in sin. No, it doesn't. The yoke of bondage means the law. The law entangled us. The law was bondage to us. B.B. Bliss wrote a song we used to sing. Uh, it's been a long time since I've heard it. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace has redeemed us once and for all. That'll make you want to shout, amen? That's what we've been. We've been delivered. We're free to come to the new husband. The law was one husband. When he dies, then that frees us up to go to the next husband. And the next husband is Jesus Christ and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, saints served because they were required to. In the New Testament, saints serve because they want to. Nobody made you come this morning. If you're here and you feel uneasy, it may be that you need to make some kind of decision. We've not geared this service to make you feel good. We've geared it to draw you to Jesus. You, you've heard the music and the trials and tribulations. Man, we can just whisper. Jesus is, I know it's, people say it's a cop-out, but folk, the real truth is Jesus is always the answer. I mean, I know it, but it's still, we, we need to be faithful. Stephen Cole, one of the pastors that I read after, wrote an article in Leadership Magazine, and uh, he, he was uh, talking about jogging in the forest near his house, and, and a question popped in his head one morning. What about John Spurgeon? And uh, I, I thought, as I was reading that, I thought, what about John Spurgeon? Who is John Spurgeon? Well, John Spurgeon was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's daddy. And his daddy was named John, too, and he was a preacher of the gospel. And, 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 and Stephen Cole said he began to, to think about that. He was reading an autobiography of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he began to think about that. Nobody would know who John Spurgeon was had it not been for the fact that Charles Haddon Spurgeon had become a great preacher of the Word of God. And then his family. John was his daddy and his, other da his granddaddy was John. They came into view because of the famous preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon and then Cole said it hit him it hit him that we're not going to walk through the gates of heaven and Jesus say well done thou good and faithful famous preacher 
We're going to walk through the gates of heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, if Charles Haddon Spurgeon would have never become a famous preacher, John Spurgeon was going to continue to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He was going to continue to be faithful. It doesn't matter if the church has got 20 people or if the church has got 5,000 people. Our faithfulness is what God looks at. So we're delivered. And then, then the scripture says, thirdly, we're taught by the law. What it taught us. Number one, it taught us sin. My wife's sick. I'm not, I already got chewed out one time this morning uh, from, from the people over at Arabella. Uh, one of our ladies said, would you quit talking about your wife in a negative tone? I, I, I said, babe, she loves it. She really does. When, when I do that, if you'll just, uh, she loves it. I'm just telling you, she loves it. <laughs> so help me last night. Every time we do this, we took a picture, and we try and take one of ourselves, but we're old people, and, you know, you're, <laughs> it doesn't look right. So Kyle took a picture for us. The first words out of her mouth, oh, every time. Well, that doesn't look like me. <laughs> Babe, that looks exactly like you. When you hold up a mirror, it looks just like you. And let me tell you, the law, when that law, you look into that mirror of the law, you understand that you are a sorry, rotten, no good scoundrel. Now, the law never could save you. All the law could do was show you who you were based on the Word of God. Hmm. And then it not only taught us sin, uh, it taught us lust. The Tenth Commandment says, Thou shalt not covet. Exodus 20, 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor thy wife, nor his manservant, maidservant, his ox, or anything else that's in thy neighbor's. That word covet means desire or lust. Paul said, I wouldn't have known these things had it not been for the fact that I looked at the law. If the law hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have known that. But the law can't save you. So it taught us, and then what it did, without the law, sin's dead. But now sin's still a part of us. It was part of our nature. It's active. But we're not aware of our consequences with it. So now I'm aware of my sin. And Paul said in verse 9, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, the law removes my cloak for sin. And now I realize that I'm a sinner and I'm a debtor and there's nothing I can do about it. I cannot save myself. That's what the law teaches me. I can't do it. I'm a debtor. I'm the one who needs to pay for the sin, but I can't pay for my sin. So what it says in verse 12 and 14, the law is holy and righteous and pure. Now, he said, be ye holy for I'm holy. Paul said in verse 16, uh, 13, uh, the commandment might become exceeding sinful. When we look into into the, to the mirror of the law and we see what we are, it, it becomes uh, just how bad sin was. Now remember in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The only way you can know it is not by your emotions or feelings, but it's by the word of God. It's by going back to the law. Now, the fourth thing here that I see quickly is we're captive to the law. There's a struggle going on. Some commentators believe that Romans chapter 7 is referring to Paul as a lost person. 
I don't believe that's true. I think Paul is saved. He's going through a struggle. How many of you Christians here this morning know that after you get saved, there might come a struggle? Whoo! Well, let me change that word. There will come a struggle. There has come a struggle. We may be in a struggle, and there's still going to be more struggles to come down the road because we're fighting with the new nature versus the old nature. He had the desire to do that which was right, but the old nature kept warring against his mind. Same struggle. But listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. He said, casting down imaginations. All right, stay with me. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. When you've read in the word of God that you're dead to sin and your high imagination keeps saying, yeah, but you know how bad you are. He said, cast that down, cast that down. And what happens when you cast it down? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Wow. That's why Paul can say, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this? It's a spiritual tug of war all the time in our life. But there's help. There's a solution. And that is this, Jesus Christ. He's the solution to every problem. Philippians 4.13, we love to quote it, I can do all things. That's not what the scripture says. The little teapot will tell you that. The little train will tell you that. I think I can, I think I can, I think I, I know I can. It's just not true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you don't put on the last verse, last part of it, the first one's not relative either. You can only do the things through Christ who strengthens you. And if you're not walking with Christ, there's no strength there. The mind controls the flesh. And so he, he says then, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, this is where we're able to have the victory. It's the old saying you've heard over and over again. It's mind over matter. But when you begin to get in your mind that I can have the mind of Christ, I reckon that I'm dead with him, that I've been buried with him, that I've risen again with him. I appropriate what he has done for me on the cross, and I'm going to yield myself to him as my Lord and Master. I'm telling you, you can have victory. You can have victory. I'm going to be, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to be speaking to the CR uh, group after, uh, after lunch. I think I'm still on. They hadn't canceled me. And, uh, man, I was thinking about our CR group's one of the best groups I've ever seen anything about anywhere. If you, if you just... If you, you say, well, I'm not going to admit to nothing. Don't admit to nothing. Just come and praise and worship with them and just feel the Spirit of God in the place. But I got to thinking as I was praying last night, and I had plenty of time there at the hospital studying still to get ready for this afternoon. You know, we, we emphasize I got a drinking problem, and I need to get that done. I need to get help. And that's true. That's all true. I've got a drug problem. I need to get help. I, I've got this problem. I've got this problem. But in 1 Peter, 
I'm, 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 don't tar and feather me. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about all this through. But I'm wondering in my heart if maybe the things that we're all holding on to, First Peter talks about the hypocrisy, the evil speakings, the guile, the malice. I wonder if those wouldn't be bigger deliverances than the alcohol and the drugs. I'm wondering maybe today if God just come down in this place and those who just had anger. I mean, you can see it in eyes. You can hear it in voices. But if God delivered you from anger, I'm just wondering if that wouldn't be a bigger deliverance than being delivered from alcohol. Hmm? All right, let me, let me close out. <laughs> let me give you three things here you need to start doing if you're going to live in victory. Number one is this. Learn to start dying and then start living. You can't live until you die. When you're, when you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. My wife says that every time she gets in the car with me. We have a prayer, and she says, I'm ready. <laughs> you see, uh, this, this, in our first five verses here, it's talking about the wife here. She's married to Mr. Law, who is a perfect man. Have you seen some of them? How many? No, don't answer that. Some of you wives here have that perfect man. He's all perfect. And if you don't believe it, just ask him. He'll tell you about it. He's perfect. And so she's kind of beat under submission. And, and the Bible says, Matthew 5, 18, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. She's just going to have to suck it up. But you know what? She makes another decision. Now listen to me closely. She don't make a decision to kill the husband. She makes a decision to die herself. And when she dies herself, suddenly she's not under the law of the husband anymore. She's died to herself. Wow. Romans 6, 11, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he's talking about. So, so quit Quit all of that and just, just quit. Your, you, you learn to die and then you start living. Second thing here is quit trying and start trusting. Quit trying. You'll work yourself silly trying. I mean, you, you, how many times in this life have we said, Lord, I, okay, we've got this under control now. I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try... Mm, don't work. We just need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. Let me give you this last thing and I'm through. Stop sighing. And start praising. Stop sighing. Start praising. T.W. Hunt was a, uh, wrote Master Life and
and several other books through uh, some part of experiencing God and all. And he married. He was teaching seminary in Fort Worth. And uh, he had a daughter, a little baby. They didn't have any pampers. This was back. Remember, ladies, you had to wash them diapers. Had to clean them out before you could wash them. And then you'd wash them and all of that. And he said, uh, he sat down with his wife and they had, had a prayer list of what they needed. And he listed it, just one right after the other, a washing machine, a dryer, you know, and just went right on down the list of all the things he needed, you know, to help in life. And six, eight months passed and he still hadn't, not one thing on that prayer list had been answered. He said one day his wife and daughter were at the mall and he just got along with the Lord and he said, Lord, what, what is the deal? I, I've sacrificed my life. I'm trying to serve you in, in this seminary. And Lord, it's just like you don't even hear us. And God told him, you ought to just get your mind off all this worldly stuff and start praising me. So his wife came home and they made a decision that uh, they were not going to pray for a washing machine anymore. They were not going to pray for anything they needed. They were just going to praise the Lord. Amen. He said, and he, he wadded up his list and threw it away. He said within six months, because he said, I threw my list away, but my wife kept her list. <laughs> he said about six months later, my wife come out with his list and said, Honey, God has given us everything we've got on this list. And we've never asked again for it. All we've done is praise the Lord. I'm just telling you, stop all the, and start praising the Lord. A wireshman found a turtle in his backyard. It had been completely decapitated, decapitated, probably decapitated too, but (laughs) the dead body of the, uh, was there uh, just flipping and running around, you know, as fast as a turtle could do. And, and the guy was amazed. He called his friend Mike over to see it. And he said, it's dead. He said, but it's still running around. And, and his buddy said, it can't be dead or else it'd be still. Patrick said, it's dead. He said, it can't be dead, it'd be still. Argument grew hotter and hotter. Along came O'Brien. They decided his verdict would be the final verdict. Mike looked at him and said, it's dead. He said, can't be dead. And he, O'Brien said, it is dead, but it don't believe it. <laughs> Some of you sitting in this place this morning, you, you are dead. You're, you've been saved and you're dead. You just don't believe it. You're still sighing and worrying over circumstances instead of just praising the name of Jesus. And this morning God said, look, start believing it. You're dead to sin. Reckon it. Appropriate it. And yield it. Father, thank you this morning for just the privilege we have to preach your word. And to, Lord, just share what you've laid on our hearts. Thank you for Romans, for the blessing it has been to us for the straight talk and uh, encouragement that it gives us. And I pray today, God, there are people in this place today, if they were to die on their way home, we'd never see them again. 
they would depart and go to a place of everlasting destruction. Would you not let that happen, Lord? Would you speak through the power of the Holy Spirit and bring them to you today? There are others in this place that their life is, is just a, it's a, an emotional mess. They know they're saved. They know that their salvation's secure. But Lord, they're still hanging on to old things that the devil brings up consistently over and over again. Lord, would you give them freedom today? God, freedom from hypocrisy, freedom from anger, freedom from malice, freedom from anything they have, Lord, anything. May they walk out of here and say, for the first time in my life, I'm free. I'm free. Let your will be done. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as we